Greetings, dear listener, and welcome to episode 126 of Gomology. Now, this is the final episode of season five, and as tradition dictates, it's the festive chat with my two chums, Sean and John. If you're asking yourself if there will be a season six, the answer is a very clear maybe. Right now, I need to take a break to regain some energy and motivation, and then I'll have a look at the side of the summer. In the meantime, I do encourage you to look back among the previous episodes and do a little catching up. There are lots of interesting chats with great guests. And as always, I do appreciate you sharing Gomology with your friends, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, leaving me a DM on Instagram, or even sending me an email. So without further ado, let's get stuck in. Hi, welcome to another episode of Gomology, and this one is our end of season special. Now, the reason for this doing a comeback is that it's surprisingly popular, and this also means that my uh, two regular guests are back. It's uh, Sean in Glasgow and uh, John in a little village, I can't recall, near Brighton. Hello. Sean, would you like to say a few words to get started? Yeah, hello. I'll always look forward to this. It's been a while. Um, I think it was June last year, the last one, wasn't it? Um, so I'm looking forward to this little chat and see where it takes us. John? Same. Always a pleasure, guys. Lovely to see you virtually, although nobody else can see us. But uh, yeah, good to see you guys. Now, I, I do listen to one or two other menswear-ish podcasts, and one of them always starts off with what they call the fit check. So I thought I'd uh, appropriate the idea today and uh, check out what are the men of the moment actually wearing. John, would you like to um, walk us through what you're wearing today? Of course. Uh, current style-wise, I have fairly recently watched Smoking the Bandit and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I'm going a bit double denim, 70s, so I've got a pair of um, 70s Wrangler, uh, 101 cowboy riders and uh, a matching denim shirt classic white t-shirt and looking a little bit i like to think like burt reynolds or maybe brad pitt in once upon a time in the west but probably the canadian tuxedo isn't necessarily everybody's taste so john you've been watching films is it and you've become hugely inspired by sort of 1970s hollywood california style yeah so i I look a little bit like a a cowboy i guess someone in the like a corner shop did comment that I needed cowboy boots and a funny hat when I went and bought my sandwich earlier on. So that does not sound like a positive comment. I don't think it was, but I think it's a good look. The wife seems to like it, which is you know frequently she tells me that I don't look great, and she quite likes the uh, double denim cowboy look. Apparently, is it the sort of because you're a real man? I, I guess I am finally a manly man. I'm looking rugged. You running the hairy chest and the medallions and all that. We've already got that hairy chest, definitely medallions, probably not my style. I'm rocking a vintage turquoise ring, though, in a very uh, Native American retro styling. So is this something, a sort of new obsession, or is it just sort of this week's uh, <laughs> idea? Just, I just watched the movie and went, they look cool. I've got that stuff knocking around in the wardrobe. I can get away with wearing that. When people say that, say, Brad Pitt has an incredible style i often think is his style incredible is it just that brad pitt looks incredible 
whatever the hell he's wearing. And there's probably an element of that. And I think, you know, I'm going to ride that wave to keep the wife happy. But, you know, it's... Okay. Yeah, that works. So, uh, Sean, Mm. what's the Um, daily attire? Just normal, um, my normal summer uniform of a a navy blue polo shirt um, and cotton trousers that are today are a kind of khaki sort of um, army colour. So I tend to just wear that all summer. I tend not to wear jeans at all in the summer because I I find them quite uncomfortable in the heat. And um, I like a sort of navy blue t-shirt or polo shirt for some reason because it's like it it doesn't particularly need ironing and it's um it kind of goes with everything else if it's navy blue sort of thing so um i tend to just wear like very i have i buy a few every summer and then if they last and then sometimes i can use them for um you know they they kind of wear out over the over the years and then i wear them in bed if they're if they're totally worn um to sleep with but i think yeah it just like it's I, I, i'm i'm not really sort of going out much so i'm tending not to bother thinking about too much about what i'm wearing and dressing up and um so i, I tend to just wear as i say cotton trousers and a shirt a t-shirt um or, or very occasionally a, a a shirt so i think this one i've got on was from uh marks and spencer so it would have been about thirteen pounds or something, but it's okay. I mean, it's fine. It's, it's thick enough quality, and it's like it's not too bad. But there's always like wear points, like sort of at the bottom of the, the placket at the front. After a while, tends to like wear or split for some reason. Um, but the collars tend to stay okay. So, um, but as I say, it's just because it, it tends to sort of go with everything. I think that I tend to wear them. But. Mm. Mm. And what's the wife approval uh, factor for this? My wife would approve. That's if she likes the preppy. That would be that would be very good. That would be I'd be allowed to go to the pub in that, so she'd be happy with that. Um, I I don't really know. I mean, like. It's not something that we discuss really. I mean, she's she's always like says that oh yeah you make an effort and that's great and you know even when I'm not making an effort she says like oh that looks nice so yeah I suppose in a way um, but it's not something that like really comes up in the conversation very often you know um, but yeah I, th- I think like she tends to think I dress okay um, but. Again, like with John, I think like denim shirt tends to, like if I wear a denim shirt, she always goes, oh, that looks good. You know, denim shirt looks good. And whenever I put a white shirt on, my, my daughter always says, oh, you look, you look like you've made an effort or you're, you're looking smart. But for some reason, she always <laughs> think, my daughter always says that if I wear a white shirt, I've, I've made an effort, you know. Wow. That's why. Just a bit bright. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Just in case either of you are wondering, I can mention that I'm wearing uh, pretty much what I wear all summer now, a white T-shirt. Uh, I've got a stack of uh, Uniqlo ones that just last mm. again and again and again. Uh, nice and thick. Uh, and if I use the sort of enzyme cleaning stuff, they um, they stay fairly white. Mm. And wearing a pair of uh, Army-style olive herringbone twill trousers that I picked up when I was in Sheffield a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Korean brand called Standard Types. You make them in China, but they were reasonably priced and nice trousers. They're not really warm. So, uh, 
Well, I'm sitting in the attic here in uh, suburban Norwegian summer, yeah. and the days start off quite nippy, right. and then by the end of this recording, I'll be dripping in sweat yeah. as the sun bakes down onto the roof. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm also wearing my thick felt wool slippers, um, the Danish uh, Glerup brand, which I'm very, very happy with. Mm. And they keep my feet warm, even though I'm sitting mm. in front of the computer for hours on end. Mm. So, if people were wondering what uh, what we're looking like, because uh, I will make a little image uh, for the for the show, uh, but I have an idea there which will surprise you both, Ooh. not at all. So we'll see how that mm -hmm. goes. Now, I did set you both a challenge earlier today because we often sort of jokingly get into the concept of male fashion. Traditionally, we have had absolutely no idea, pretty much, about what is fashionable. And I have to admit, I did Google it, and um, I was kind of none the wiser. Because as far as I could tell, male fashion this year is pretty much the same as it was every year. Has your research brought up anything interesting? It was just one thing that like sprang to mind that I, I, you know, when you're when you're sort of scrolling through um, videos on on Instagram or whatever, I, I don't know quite what the function's called, but it's like you keep getting like videos coming up, and then the more you watch of a certain type of video, then the more you get. Okay, um, and I think it's like uh, possibly called reels, right? And and you get these reels coming up. That's correct. Now, there was one came up about what was called old money style. And I thought, on earth is, what, is what, what do they mean by that? So then it kept coming up like these different videos and all I could ascertain from it was it was things without a logo. So they, yep. they classed it and then there would be somebody sitting with a cigar um, on, on some sort of terrace or sitting sideways outside um, a BMW um, or you know, like standing, staring into the middle distance with a drink in one hand and a cigar. And and it would say, like, this is old money fashion. And there was no, like, real connection between what these things were, apart from that you would tend to be some form of suiting or tailoring. Um, you wouldn't necessarily be wearing trainers with a big logo on them or, indeed, anything with a big logo on them. And that's all I could see, but I don't know if you know anything about that. Or is that something that's come onto your radar? And that's about the only thing I've seen that I could say seems to be. But whether it's just like for young people, I don't know. But it just they're calling it old money. It just seems really odd. I, I saw it. I've obviously been on the same algorithm as you. So I saw the one with um, talking about uh, King Charles. I could say Prince Charles. King Charles now mm. and the old money. How he wears his late father's mm -hmm. overcoat. And it was it was very much like they're wearing very well made, very structured, old clothes, yeah. and apparently not having not having labels on display. But converse, the opposite to that is what I see my son and the youth knocking around and and sort of the twenty somethings. Everything I used to wear in the nineties is now super fashionable, and there seems to be a big move within vintage sellers away from earlier stuff. And there's lots of nineties streetwear being thrown out. In you know, going to London for work, into Brighton, there's lots of girls looking like girls I really want to date in 
1995 when I was a teenager, and now all the girls are dressed like that again now. It's very off-putting. Yeah, because I think the examples you mentioned, Sean, they sound like the sort of parody examples of old money fashion. Mm. Um, w. David Marks had some good info about that in his latest uh, book, The Status One. Because um, the, the old money, as they call it, I mean that's people who are, they have they buy good stuff and keep it forever. O- old money is a, a Volvo two forty estate. Yeah. New money is a, a Volvo V ninety. Yeah. Um, so it's it's just quality stuff yeah. which you have for a long time. You might repair, and that becomes kind of something you're proud of in itself. You could afford to buy lots of fancy stuff, but you keep the old stuff. But it's still projecting a certain image, isn't it? It's all about status. Yes. Yeah. Because by wearing that old old stuff, you're showing that you're uninterested in all the new crap. Yeah, that you're, you're, you're as interested in projecting an image as anybody else is, even though you're trying not to. By, by pretending not to. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So you're... you're, yeah. you're it, it, it's it's like you're you're sort of saying that you're not into anything modern. So you you are as much project trying to project a specific image as somebody that um, has walking about with a t-shirt on that says Gucci on it that they've paid four hundred quid for. Do you know what I mean? In my mind, anyway, that's yeah. you're doing it in a different way, but um, you're as much trying to project this image. But there, of, are, you know, those that aren't projecting, there must be. There are. And I imagine very few people that actually do have that. There are the old money people that still knock around in their dad's suit and stuff, you know. Minor royals, aristocracy, people like that. There, there are people that do it without knowing, I'm imagining. But I imagine they are a very small cohort of people. Yes, and the people yes, actually... absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oddly, I came across that when I was talking to Ryan Mallinson, the rewaxing guy. Mm. Because he mentioned that he'd get some really old wax jackets coming in from places with very, very, very sort of top-notch Tony addresses in the UK. So it would be sort of minor aristocracy mm-hmm. who were sending their jackets to be rewaxed sure. and had clearly been doing that for a long time because that was sort of how, how they did stuff. Mm-hmm. I do wonder, though, how you can sort of get into old money fashion if you're not old money. Well, that that's what I mean, these videos seem to be like attempting to do but it, it didn't seem like all it all it was was just like as I say not wearing maybe what teenagers are wearing you know it was just wearing something that's slightly more grown up and they were trying to pass it off as some and I don't know whether this is like something that is a worldwide trend or, or whatever but um it didn't seem to be really making any sense it was just like sort of slightly smarter than your average streetwear so it was like separating streetwear and Old old money. If what they were, they were they were giving it a name where it was just sort of dressing slightly smarter than um, than the average person. Do you know what I mean? And why does it always involve it cigars kind of... for some reason? <laughs> and Negronis oh. and uh, whatever. So um, mm. I mean, you do have to partake in some quite revolting activities to be part of the scene. Yeah, you have to but stink it about. It does also sort of mesh with the preppy thing that has had a sort of resurgence as well now mm. which is also about east coast american elite uh, retro style dressing do you think that's a resurgence and i just think that's always been there there's always been an element especially in the uk of that's kind of tied in with 
what you would say like a sort of mod style where there's there's a certain neatness you can't really define it but there's a certain like neatness of 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 look where everything's quite sort of refined and you know nothing's sort of logo again logo based it's all quite sort of traditional neat and it i think like you know you could either sort of completely adhere to that and say right no that's the only way of dressing which it's a sort of blind alley for anyone or or you can just say well you know i can take elements of that and you know could because it looks smart um but yeah i think it's always been there i think i don't think that's kind of gone away in my mind anyway i suspect a lot of it is just marketing because the moment you stick a label on it mm. and come up with a loose definition mm-hmm. you can market the hell out mm-hmm. of it mm-hmm. yeah but i mean if you take say for instance a pair of jeans if you've got like a sort of slightly roomier, um, sort of worn in, sort of slightly baggier pair of jeans. It's not going to fit under that preppy brand. But if you've got like a sort of just a, you know, probably available from the same company, whether it's Uniqlo or Levi's or whatever, a very dark pair of straight fit, almost like sort of bordering on slim fit jeans, then you could then market that under a sort of preppy style. Do you know what I mean? Whereas, so... In, in somebody's mind, if they're wanting to go for a preppy style, that would be the type of jeans they would go for as opposed to a baggy. But there's no, like, you know, some people will say, oh, wear that type of jeans with a sort of preppy top or whatever. And that's like when you're sort of taking your own um, ideas and, and sort of mixing it up a bit. But, yeah, I think it's just, I, I don't even know if I would call it sort of preppy, but to me it's like, since like sort of Britpop, it's came back, and then it was there in the early eighties with the mod revival and late seventies. Um, so it's it's not it's something that's always kind of been there. In, I think in there's a really bit of a spin on it. So they've been taking lots of the preppy collegiate stuff from the eighties mm. and rocking the back. Princess Diana jumper. Mm. I've seen two of yeah making versions men and women. Um, there's some newer companies like Rowing Blazers, which is an American company that seem to just make mm-hmm. rugby shirts, mm-hmm. old uniforms. Like there seems to be quite a bit of that going mm-hmm. on, and, you know, Gant and some of the Ralph Lauren polo style bits and pieces. So mm-hmm. this seems to be a bit more of it around. Mm-hmm. I think, like you, Sean, it has always, it's kind of almost my work wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, area where you have to be relatively smart but relatively casual, you can't be you know, too relaxed. Mm-hmm. So it works really But I'd probably do it in a slightly old man, not ironic, doing it in a street sense. <laughs> just pro- probably just happening the fact I'm wearing a pair of chinos and a blazer mm-hmm. and a shirt. Mm-hmm. But that whole thing, and this unstructured blazers, so the, the, the cage blazers and the sort of sack coat blazers seem to be knocking around a bit more again mm. with men in the office and workwear. I think there's that change between dressing for the job you're doing as opposed to having to wear a suit in work. Yeah. There's a the big law firms in London on Radio 4 a couple of weeks ago talking about how they've got rid of the suit dress code. Mm-hmm. And they can wear now more fashionable items. And she said the ladies are generally very stunning and wear fashionable things and all the men mm-hmm. wear the body. She knows polo shirt, blazer, because it's easy and standard and you don't have to think about it too much and it always looks right no matter who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. I was just scrolling through this article I, I discovered online about um, the sort of uh, seasonal 
fashions now and I see that the retro 90s sportswear, the shell suits and so forth that you observed, John, are in fact now internationally acclaimed as being utterly fashionable. It's, it's crazy. I, you know, I've seen all these um, Oakley sunglasses, the bug-eyed ones and things, now going for huge amounts of cash. They were quite expensive when they were new back mm -hmm. in the 90s when it was a company doing like, a surf sports thing. Mm -hmm. But they're selling up to thousands of pounds on eBay. Jeez, uh, the ones, it's, it's it kind of, and, and things like their backpacks and some of the old designs, um, lots of the old, um, sort of the Nike all conditions gear, that sort of outdoory sportsy thing. And then, you know, the shell suits and there seems to be lots of, following the sort of 90s grunge thing, a lot of more check shirts and big boots and skater jeans and things popping out and about. Mm. Speaking of which, I do notice uh, something else on this uh, this long list of um, stuff. And John, this proves that today you are the most fashionable member of the podcast because cowboy boots, Western fashion, bang on trend as well. <laughs> you fashion fiend. Probably the first time in my life. <laughs> Weed 10 years ago, I managed to hit it with that. Done cowboys now. I'm, 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 I'm taking that as a win. So, saddle up, friend. <laughs> Dear me. My boots now. I'd add a couple of inches to my height. I'll be six foot. It'll be amazing. I mean, that's what it's about. Gaining the extra inches. All about the extra inches. I have to say, though, that cowboy boots... Oh, no. I, no. I just... They don't look... To me, they don't look comfortable. Like, they just look like an awkward thing. To wear, do you know, like that, especially with the heel and the the sort of pointed toe, and the, you know, and the, I don't know, they just look a bit odd. Like, Ace for riding a horse, not great for walking around Marks and Spencers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It remi reminds me of something I've been sort of mulling over in my mind about how there are things I like and don't like, which I have no rational explanation for, but it just feels like I'm hardwired for it. I have mentioned before, Chelsea boots on men, can't stand them. On women, fine. Mm -hmm. But cowboy boots, all round, mm -hmm. just no. Mm -hmm. What else? See, my daughter she really wants a pair of cowboy boots at the moment. And I know where she's got it from. She's obviously seen something somewhere. But my seven-year-old daughter, every time we go out shopping, we've had to just buy some crocs and trainers and all sorts of sensible things you buy for a seven-year-old girl. And she's like, I really want some cowboy boots. So maybe, maybe she's been getting hold of, like, I don't know where she's getting that idea from, but she's seven, so you know. But we were last week um, when we were away um, in Newcastle. We were watching that there was no terrestrial television in the house we were staying at, so there was only like online. And the children started watching uh, Young Sheldon. I don't know if you've ever seen that. And his um, yeah, his little sister constantly wears cowboy boots, and I wonder if that was maybe. I mean, she's a bit younger. That could be it. We have we have been watching Young Sheldon, so, right? Yeah. So that may be, you know, um, I know he wears them in it, but it's a, his little sister wears them too, so that might be part of it. So, what is it with Chelsea boots, Nick? What is it? Why you don't? What is it? The style of them, I, or I think it must be that they look so utterly, utterly feminine, and then you, they're often worn with skinny jeans or skinny trousers, mm. and then one of these polyester quilted barber jackets. Mm -hmm. And that combination is just three shitty things together making quite a shit salad. Yeah, no, I agree with that. But I do love my... Um, I've got some Red Wing Chelsea boots that I might easily slip on, slip out 
shoes because they are just easy. Mm-hmm. The back and not too pointy, but they just you know elasticated sides. Plum on, plum off. Run around the garden, take them on a dog walk. I know there's a lot of Blundstone fanatics who would disagree with me. But I think they look crap as well. I had a, I had a pair of those. Um, I bought a pair about ten years ago, and they are ridiculously comfortable. I mean, they're like, you know, soft. The, the, I don't know what the, the the rubber on the sole is like, thick and soft, but you kind of almost bounce when you're walking, um, and they're nice. I I do. I have one pair which are. Ralph Lauren ones that are kind of chunky, dark brown. But to be honest, I very rarely wear them. But yeah, I mean, to me, there's like there's two types. There's that sort of like um, rock star, slim, black, thin-soled type that you would wear with like skinny stuff, or there's a more sort of chunky, wider fit. What I find with them though is when you kind of look down, they look a bit odd. Like when you're wearing Chelsea boots, when you look down, they don't somehow look right, look a bit strange. But yeah, I don't mind the like the sort of chunky ones because, as John said, they're like great. You just kind of pull them on, and they're um, they're generally quite comfortable and flexible, you know. Kind of, kind of like Crocs in that respect, I suppose. Well, that's <laughs> not something I would ever try. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sort of hearing, even... hearing hearing the excuses here. <laughs> mm. But uh, I did. You mentioned comfort, and I did. Uh, I did have something or a, a revelation. Um, a year or two back because so I had two pairs of Clark Wallabies uh, one pair in suede and one pair in Halloween leather now the suede ones were super super comfortable and the others were not at all right. the difference of course identical shoes but the difference was the sort of softness of the leather and this winter I bought a pair of Chinese tiger moth boots mm which are sort of um, early aviator style with shearling lining and commando soles. But they're in kudu leather, which is a sort of African antelope type of species, which is, the leather is very, very soft. And they are so comfortable. So I bought a second pair of hurricane boots from them in the same leather. Also super comfortable. So, So I'm all about the soft leathers now. I've got I've got those two tone Doctor Martens that are that kudu leather um, that I bought on eBay. Um, they're sort of a dark brown and a light brown sh- shoes, not boots, um, and they're the, the, the kudu leather. And when I bought them, they were a little bit stiff, but I put quite a lot of moisturiser on them. It seems to have made all the difference. And yeah, they're they're incredibly soft, and then combined with the um, the sort of airwear sole as well, they're excellent. Yeah, really good. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's three of us. Maya, Viberg service boots are Kudu leather, and they are the softest, most comfortable thing ever. And in that instant, the Kudu antelope became <laughs> red-listed. Makes <laughs> great build time as well, I'm sure. Mm. Mm. So, I'm after, what is catching your eye these days? Are you still keenly interested in the garms, the shoes, the boots, the clothes the jackets i know you've been looking into some seriously strange stuff of late john oh have i strange i did promise not to mention your fetish wear but you will have to <laughs> reveal it I, I i i i i think you must be referring to my wonderful pvc uh royal navy dexmark yes <laughs> Prior to the the much talked about and much loved and incredibly expensive um, Ventile Dexmox, the REF used on carriers, um, 
they trialled for a couple of years a PVC version, which is obviously incredibly waterproof and incredibly windproof, but ridiculously sweaty. And obviously tears and isn't particularly practical. But it, it, it's, it's, it's a very odd bit of kit. I do smell like some sort of hot air balloon rubber product as I walk around in it. And I haven't been aware of where it because I think the coldest it's been since we got it's been about 24 degrees. But I think in the rain, in, in the winter, you know, roll neck, submariner sweater, that, it'll be, it'll be cracking. Mm-hmm. But do you think it is a practical jacket or is it all about the look? Well, it was designed to be a practical jacket in the 50s. Uh, I imagine it will keep the water out. I'm not necessarily convinced about the breathability and usability of it, but I think it's a waterproof and probably windproof and keep the snow out and things. Going to do that. It's going to keep me dry, but um, yeah, I'm not not convinced it's the most practical item in the world. I can just imagine going for a brisk walk in the autumn cold. You nip into your local pub where it's nice and warm, the roaring fire and the whiff of that rubber starts <laughs> circulating. <laughs> It won't work socialising very much unless I'm going to some very specialist clubs. But, uh, yeah. 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 Okay. And you've also been diving deep into vintage Maharishi. Yeah, I, I, was, I... Back in my youth, I lived and died in Maharishi from about 1999 to about 2004-ish. And with all my vintage dealing with older stuff, Maharishi seems to be something that's really captivating and holding money at the moment. So I've got some pieces from very early on, which are, in my opinion, pretty cool. That's some the limited edition stuff from 99, 2000. Stuff you did with the graffiti artists and some of the recycled bits. And I've just been picking up a few extra bits with the vintage. So I've got a couple of dead stock bits. As uh, we were talking about, I got a piece from the Ukraine, which was slightly odd. And obviously it took a long while to get here because they're in the middle of uh, Europe's biggest land-based war for a long time. But yeah, I got a dead stock Maharishi recycled um, US Parker. So it's based on the Desert War, um, Desert Storm night camo, digital camo, with the big embroidered dragon on the back. But it's completely dead stock, label still all attached. Now, Maharishi isn't a brand that is spoken that often of today or at least i don't hear of it often do you have any sort of idea of where they came from what they were about well i think harley bleachman was just an interesting guy who was really interested in recycling and sustainability back in those days and designed what was you know really up-to-date quite technical clever streetwear back in the late 90s early 2000s and then it became very popular with the snow pants so he took what were the um US military over trousers for snow conditions, readjusted those a little bit, put the embroidery on them. I think, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, pretty much every TV movie star was wearing them and they became really, really big. They're still obviously still going. They've got some, you know, they have a big collection every year, it seems, and some pieces are still pretty, pretty cool. Some of the 90s stuff and late, uh, late early 2000s stuff is looking quite dated now. So some of the ninja stuff, it was, you know, it was obviously highly influenced by camo military wear street wear a lot of japanese ideas came into that as well so there's uh, some interesting like tabby boots and uh you know ninja shirts and stuff like that which probably aren't the most practical thing to be knocking around a lot of um mandarin cut shirts and things which do look really dated now but i still think are pretty cool because they just remind me of uh, 
when it was cool. In fact, sat behind me now, I've got a Maharishi fleece just on the back of my own jacket. So, uh, yeah. I've only got the one jacket myself, which is a, a Harrods Tweed blazer with a camouflage print on, which I bought a few years ago, and I think looks really nice. <laughs> well, yeah, these, it, it got some, it, you know, it, for my personal side, I can pick and choose, and some of the bits are great. My, you know, I, I started looking into it seriously when my son wanted something that weren't joggers and weren't jeans, and I was looking at combat trousers, and some just popped up Maharishi ones on the internet. He went, oh, they're really cool. I went, I used to have loads of those back when I was 19, 20. And then I got some cheap secondhand for him, and he's been wearing them for the last couple of years now as his sort of standard trousers secondhand from the internet. And I was kind of like, whilst I'm looking for him, I might as well look for me. And uh, ended up, as we do, rabbit holing a little bit and end up buying loads of really obscure bits. But some guy contacted me. I've got the Futura 2000. It was a graffiti artist, um, Snorkel Parker, which was one of his, I guess, most famous jackets that I bought originally from Maharishi back in 1999, 2000. And um, somebody on Instagram was selling their version for a few thousand pounds and was saying about it. I went, oh, did you know it used to come with three gloves instead of two gloves as a thing? Because I've still got the original one with the gloves attached. It's got mittens and things. And had this very long conversation about how desirable it is and now if you've got one that's worth you know it was expensive back then it must have been close to a thousand pounds then but it's now sort of three thousand pounds for a new or new condition like that wardrobe for 30 years nearly yeah that does does show what the collector's market is like doesn't it i, I was saying earlier it's changed completely you now i'm i see things that i wore as a teenager getting over for money like crazy amount. I, I probably looking like my parents did all the stuff I wore in the sixties that they loved, and kind of they went, "You're mental. Why are you buying these old jeans? Why are you buying flares? Why are you buying all this weird stuff?" And now my son, and his mates want to buy all the stuff that I wore in the nineties, which some of it was great, some of it, face it, was a bit awful. So uh, yeah, mm. like cyclic fashion. Yeah, it's interesting though how you're being. Um... Influenced by your son's interest now, though. Big part of my life. Big part of my life. We've had lots of discussions about trainers as well. So he, he has become a, you know, as many 13-year-old boys do, complete trainerholic. So he is uh, slightly obsessive about Nike Dunks. And he was very impressed that when I met my wife, I had 253 pairs because I had a bit of a trainer problem in my 20s. Um so they've nearly all been sold, but he's very excited about some of the photos of my old trainers and um, constantly tells me about stuff when it's coming up and shows me the Nike app with what Nike app with what's coming up to be released so you can buy it on the day of release and can I get those and yeah. Looking back on that collection of two hundred and fifty three pairs of trainers. Yeah. Are you sort of proud of your accomplishment or I'm proud of my accomplishment. I think I made an awful lot of money reselling them all. So I think I did quite well out of it, but it it was quite obsessional. It was literally as things are released in a different colour, I'd just buy them and put them in a box and put them on my wall of trainers. My wife was, you know, first few dates with my wife and she saw, like, I had a whole wall in my house. It was just backed up boxes of trainers, very often in the same colour and very often unworn and very often quite ugly. Yeah, yeah. But I think we've all, we're all, we're, you know, we've all got that hoarding mentality. I know we've all gone down the rabbit hole and gone, well, I'll just buy one. Oh, I quite like that one. I'll buy another in another colour. Oh, actually, another colour. Oh, and that one. Oh, they've just released. Oh, and it just got a little bit. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I can't recognise that instinct. No. You, but, um, yeah, okay. Sean, mm. where are you at these days? With what? With the clothes. What are you interested in or not interested in? Um, uh, what are you looking for? What are you buying? What are you selling? I mean, I, I have some uh, sort of shoes up for sale at the moment that I've been trying to, to get rid of for quite some time, but um, that no longer fit. So I was kind of moving everything from sort of eight, eight and a half to nine and a half, ten, um, that I think we discussed before where um, feet seem to be getting wider and wider. But um, but I, I actually think, like, a couple of months ago, I kind of looked at what I had and thought, like, what else can I sell? And I thought, I'm actually quite happy with everything that I've got. I don't necessarily want to buy anything new. And it was just like, I'd kept buying jeans to find to, to find a, a comfortable pair of jeans, you know, and I, I bought Levi's and then I bought like more Levi's and more Levi's and adjusted them myself and stuff. And, and it was like, I thought, no, I, I can't keep doing this. So I, I gave another batch away to um, the sort of local charity that distributes them. And I just, you know, there was a couple of things that I'd wanted um, towards the end of last year. Um, I'd always wanted a a Barracuda um, G4 Harrington, but I, bu- I got it. Eventually, got one at a decent price because um, there was like silly money, brand new. I think they're about like three hundred pounds, which for a cotton jacket is just ridiculous. And um, I think eventually got one for about seventy seventy pounds. And I think I know it's more of a summer jacket. But I think I've worn it like once. Um, so you know that kind of made me think, right? I'm 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 sort of looking for these things that I've wanted for ages, and when I do get them, I'd, I'd never wear them. And the the only other one was like a duffel coat, which I'd been looking for a Gloverall duffel coat in tan, um, probably a thirty eight or a forty for ages, and and even when they're coming up at like twenty pounds, which the, and sometimes in the summer they do, you know, in the winter they tend to sort of go back up to about a hundred quid. But there was one at twenty pound. I just I'm not going to buy it because I'll. I'll probably never wear it, you know, um, or I'll wear it like twice and find it sort of awkward and big and, you know, I've got enough overcoats already. So I am kind of at the point where I'm like quite happy with, with what I've got. In saying that, I did buy a couple of jackets um, or coats at the at the beginning of, of the month that where I wanted like a sort of formal style three button or two button jacket in wool but that I could wear in the sort of warmer weather so I wanted one that was either lined or, or half lined um, and I ended up buying two one that was a, a sort of 1950s Harris Tweed one but it doesn't have a it's got a lining over the shoulders and the and um, the arms but not not around the back so you can sort of wear it in the in the sort of warmer weather um, which was in fantastic condition um, hardly looks as if it's been worn um but it was slightly too big, so I had to shrink it in the um, in the washing machine. So I did it. I'd meant to do it at thirty degrees for fifteen minutes, but I ended up doing it at forty. So I've got the setting wrong, which it did shrink it a bit. But um, whilst it was wet, I just kind of put it on and wore it and stretched about a bit, and it kind of went back into shape. So it's incredible <laughs> that when wool does that, it's quite flexible. And then I saw this um, sort of Ralph Lauren one that was in a nice brown check a sort of bigger 
slightly bigger sort of check. I don't know. It's like a sort of Glen check, but slightly bigger and brown. Um, that was half lined, and it had um sort of patch pockets with buttons on them and stuff. And I, th- I thought that's kind of quite casual but smart. So I thought I'm going to get that. Um, slightly more expensive than I normally would would spend, but it's 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 good quality and it fits really well. Um, and that's that's kind of been it. Um. Don't even think I've got. I've ordered from the camper sale the world's ugliest shoes, a pair of boots um, that are like sort of brown lace-up boots that were like sixty or seventy percent off. Um, that should be here in the next few days um, because I realised that I had camper shoes that are sort of formal black brogues that were campers that are really nice, but I didn't have any other ones. And normally I would have, because I just, they're kind of go-to for me if, um, you know, I'm in a bit of pain, then they just tend to be, again, you're saying about the leather's quite flexible, they're comfortable, the insoles are brilliant on them. Um, they really sort of shape your feet. So I thought it, they wouldn't have been my first cho- choice, like style-wise, but I'd, they're not that bad, do you know? Um, so I'll show you them when I get them, but... Um, so I think they were down to like eighty-five quid or something from about uh, about two hundred. But yeah, I, I, I do like I do like them as campers. They're just like sort of put comfort first, and they they tend to last a long time. And and um, so that's about the only other thing that I've got incoming. Um, but it's difficult in the summer because you tend I just tend to as you say you tend to just kind of wear the same thing um, in the warmer weather, especially if you're just tootling around and not doing very much you know um just it's more for like sort of heat comfort than anything else i find um i don't know about you but yeah i'm sort of happy with what i've got and i think i need to maybe cut back a little bit and take some stuff out and just get rid of some more stuff um but i think yeah so you can only have like I think with jeans, I'd be quite happy if I had like one pair that fitted me perfectly and fitted perfectly. But it's like the holy grail type of jean. You don't, it doesn't come along that often. The Levi ones that I got there, I think are five four one, um, and they seem to be a slightly better quality denim, and they sit really well. So like they're sort of they're a good width. They're not slim fit. They're sort of a nice fit, and they're a good length and stuff. So I, if if I do wear a pair of jeans, it tends to be them. And I bought last year, there's a brand, I don't know if you're familiar with it, Faye brand, which happens to be my wife's name, F-A-Y. It's like an Italian brand that the stuff either seems to be like mega expensive or you can get it dirt cheap um, secondhand because it's not that, people are not that familiar with it. But it's just good quality basics. And again, they make decent trousers, decent shirts. um, And I think I've got a couple of T-shirts as well that whatever I've bought, it's never paid any more than about fifteen pound for for an item, but um, in fact, I got three um, sort of button down shirts for fifteen quid off them, um, off eBay. And again, it's one of those brands you think, oh, that's great, and I'll buy a bit more of that. But um, it seems to be one that is kind of not really that popular over here. I don't even know if there's any distributors over here. I don't even know if you can buy it here. Um, but it tends to be uh, sort of made in Italy pretty good quality basics they fit they're not designed for like um you know skinny teenagers they're sort of designed for men and they fit they fit pretty well um and i'm, I'm quite happy with them so i tend to, that's about the only one that i look out for second hand now actually um 
and see what comes up. But yeah, yeah, I'm sort of happy with what I've got for once. Happy with your lot. Mm. That's uh, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm kind of a bit envious of that position because I find myself in a constant flux. Uh, for many years, I have just been accumulating stuff. But then I started half a year ago selling a lot of stuff. And that guilt-free income meant I could also buy and reinvest it in stuff. Yeah. And I went down a few rabbit holes there. And uh, looking back, I mean, it's kind of a bit sort of desperate because you get so obsessed with finding stuff. And, uh, well, I, I interviewed um, Nigel Cable a few weeks back. Uh, before and after that, I've been on very much trying to sort of fill gaps in my Caborn collection, which is not possible to do, really. Uh, there are a couple of collections I'm primarily interested in, but there's just so much stuff. It's also quite expensive, not just quite very expensive. But I have uh, I have uh, picked up a few more Mallory tweed jackets and... Um, I did happen across upon um, the fabled cashmere duffel coat. I felt one up in 14 ounce in Berlin many, many years ago. I tried to take a photo of it and was chased from the shop. Uh, they didn't want any bloggers uh, taking photos in there. But it's always been sort of in the back of my mind how absolutely ridiculous to make a huge expensive duffel coat out of Italian cashmere like when would you even use it but I did happen upon one in as new condition (laughs) quite recently and I did buy it so I now have one downstairs in the in the archives what color is it I didn't do it's uh it's a sort of muted military green so it's uh unusual and it was only um 25 percent of uh no, yes, about 25% of uh, retail when it was new. I mean, knew it cost the price of a decent second-hand car. Oh. So the place I bought it I had three of them at the same time, so someone had sort of oh, handed in their collection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's, it's crazy. Mm. Um, but I, I am a market obsessive, so I do... Keep a close eye on market every day. Daily, dro- daily dro- uh? drop. Check the daily drop. Well, you have to sort of start refreshing early in the day because sometimes things slip out before they're actually released. So it can be a full day occupation. Sadly. What was the, uh, for those not- the K-Born, they did one, it was like a, a peacoat in tweed that I always really liked that I'd never see coming up second hand. So... I don't know if it was part of that Mallory range, but it was like a, a sort of peacoat style shape, but it was in a kind of tweedy fabric. That I don't know what that, that was. would have been from the Scott's Last Expedition collection, I was think. It? Yeah, because that's there's the 2003 Ascent of Cabourn, and there's the 2012 Scott's Last Expedition. Okay. Expedition. They're they're the sort of two really good mm. ones uh, where things are really different. But uh, mm. yeah. Uh, yeah, I mentioned Market, a uh, reseller place in York. Uh, I actually went up there when I was in Sheffield a couple of weeks back. Uh, I went up for a look because I was absolutely fascinated by the idea of it because they have just so much stuff in stock. So I was keen to see the operation. And you can actually book a visit and go and see. And I have to say, I think, and I'm not being compensated for this in any way, that it must be one of the world's 
best places for a menswear enthusiast to actually go and have a poke around. There's just such an amount of stuff there. They have 5,000 plus secondhand pieces covering everything. And just walking along the racks, feeling stuff, <laughs> picking out stuff and looking. Uh, incredible. Also, very surprised to see how much because it was arranged in uh, order of when it arrived. They had stuff that was, had been hanging out for three years, which is now available at 40% discount over their already pretty decent prices. And some of that was also brilliant. So, I mean, it really illustrated the difference between shopping online based on photos and a description and actually going and having a look and a feel of something mm. and trying it on. I am very much uh, convinced that... Uh, the garment industry needs to get off the online platforms and back to the shops if we're going to have more conscious shopping. I think if you're buying anything quality, you want to know what it feels... You know, as much as you can look at something online and then send it back because it's not quite right, if you're not actually getting a feel for it and trying it on, feeling the fabric, you know, you can you can list something as 100% cashmere, but 100% cashmere... Indian cashmere is very different to Kashmiri cashmere, very, very different again to Chinese cashmere. You know, they're all 100% cashmere. The feel mm. of different, and the same with weights of cloths and stuff. Mm. And just erroneous things online, just bonkersly people, you know, being a bit of a denim obsessive. Mm. People get the weights constantly. And because if you're selling on something like eBay, if you lace it, it's salvage, you get a lot more hits. So loads of stuff that's not. And the same with the military stuff I buy. Everything is either Second World War, Special Forces, or Falklands. Everything. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm. It, 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 the descriptions online are never going to be actually going in and trying something on and feeling it and having a look at it, sniffing it and licking it and whatever else you need to do to it to decide you want it. Well, I find it very, very easy to buy stuff online and a lot of the time disappointed. But actually walking into a shop and trying something, looking at it, I hardly ever buy anything at all. That's because you know what you're getting, isn't it? As opposed to you're, 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 you're buying an idea when you're online as much as you, know, you think it's going to be great. Why not? You can see that in a shop. Yeah, and it's I also could... really hard to spend money in a shop because you're sort of looking at something, £100? £100 for this? Online, it's like, £100? Yeah, that's, that's okay. Click. Uh, so, um, yeah. Hence, I think you're in a good place, Sean, uh, compared to those that are never quite satisfied. Although I admit, mm. at the moment now, I was about to say there's absolutely nothing I desire, but there is a pair of boots coming out next month that I do desire. But that's it. Yeah. That's it. I, I, wish, I, I wish I could be like you, Sean, and just have one pair of jeans. I've tried so many times to get my collection of jeans down to a more manageable. Mm. I think I've got... Where regularly, but there's probably another fifteen or twenty in the wardrobe and drawers that mm -hmm. I just have on, or kind of go. They don't quite fit, or they're not quite long enough in the leg, mm -hmm. or they're not. Mm. Yeah, not they're quite. Not, not fla flared enough for your seventies style. I've I've got oddly I've got some dead stock seventies uh, um, Levi's here with uh, perfect bell bottoms. Look at those beauties. <laughs> they're 28 inch waist so uh, there's no chance of me ever getting into them 
know. <laughs> the mega. Isn't that what your wife should be wearing, though? So she can cosplay with you? Oh, she, she, I've tried. She just says I'm an idiot. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, she might do a maxi dress and flip-flops. That's pretty much as much as that 70s vibe. A bit more hippie. Mm. Not so much. I mean, I don't, I'm yeah. not I mean, convinced that, you know, it might not last. I might start to see. I'm, I'm just trying, trying to avoid um, looking at eBay. You know, I'm trying to avoid looking at stuff and um, saving stuff and just trying to, to, to not bother, you know, because um, it's easier for me if I just sort of don't look at it and just like try and avoid it. But whether that lasts or not, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It might. You're always trying to get the perfect denim jacket to go with the whole seventies denim thing, so I was, you know, rabbit hold for a couple of weeks. Yeah, can't couldn't find could find the one I wanted, but I didn't want to spend four hundred odd pounds on a jacket from the seventies. Mm. So I was kind of like that. So I've bought myself three other denim jackets that are all being delivered in the next week or so. I'm like, I've just bought three denim jackets. I've already got one. That'll be my fourth four denim jackets. Just because I couldn't get the one I wanted, I probably spent nearly what I spent on the one I wanted. What did you rabbit hole? Went, oh. Did you get what did you go for? Levi's or Lee or um... uh, two two Lee and a Wrangler. Right. Levi's don't tend most Levi's don't tend to fit me, so five hundred ones don't fit me at all. Yeah, um, but five ones fit me really well as jeans. Uh, and the jackets I've got two Leo two Lee one hundred one rider jackets coming, mm-hmm. and a Wrangler. Um, 70s zip up jobby. I can't remember the name of the model. MZ, MJZ, right. which is apparently famous tailored double bucket trucker jackets. So, so what do you do with the spare ones then afterwards? Uh, they, they'll probably go back to eBay pretty promptly. I imagine I'll try them on, have a wander about in them, be told by my wife that I'm looking ridiculous, and um, my son will tell me I look too old, uh, and then they'll go back on eBay. <laughs> I found like I was looking for a Levi um, denim jacket just at the turn of the year there, and there's just so many variations in like style and shape, and you know even if you just narrow it down to I want a navy blue one, um, just a standard denim one, and there's just like it, it, there's codes, and I was I was looking online to see right what what different codes match with. And there was then again there was conflicting reports on yeah that size is a sort of shorter fit but a boxier fit. Um, best one I ever had was a kind of Levi's white label one from maybe about the mid nineties. It was a sort of slight cord, um, beigey brown one that had a, a cord effect, but it wasn't really cord. If you know what I mean, um, I think it's got a name. What do you call that when it's like cord but it's not cord? So it's kind of striped. Um, material obviously and that was great because it was quite a short fit squared and, and it fitted really well um, but again I, I very rarely see them coming up online whether it would fit me now either I don't know but I ended up with this just blue one um, that I think I paid about £40 for That the colour looked great online um, the dimensions that I got from it looked great but when I got it it was just like baggy and horrible and uh, you know it's like a sort of blues on, so I think I'll go for Lee. I think that's the one I'll, I'll get. Is it the Lee Rider one, one hundred one? I think I'll, they, they seem to be a fairly more standard uh, fit, sort of thing. So I'll maybe try that. I get a get... bit like Levi. They've got like a Type One, a Type Two, and a Type Three. So right. They, they, they do. Mm-hmm. I tend to go for a Type 
Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever had a denim jacket, yeah. and that's another one of my little, little weird foibles <laughs> where I I just can't see myself wearing no. it. I quite like I mean, to wear it under heaps of jeans, but like under another jacket, I find like like a nice warm layer. I like to wear underneath something. I quite often wear it like that in the winter. Yeah. So you'd wear a denim jacket under a tweed coat, say? I have done, yeah. And you, again, you that is old money. The, the denim, very old money. <laughs> the denim jacket would need to be like quite a good fit and fashionable. Like I would be able to fasten it up and then. Wear a sort of coat over over the top, yeah, yeah, with a scarf underneath the denim jacket, yeah. I've done that a few times. The word you use there really sums up a lot of menswear for older men, where you say fashionable or is it fashionable? Mm. Because we're less about fashion now, but more about being fasten our jackets. And then if it doesn't fasten, you sort of go, oh well. I don't really fasten it anyway, so it doesn't matter, you know, it'll be it'll be okay. Or like every other dimension of something will fit perfectly and then you just go, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> that's, like, uh, yeah. that's that's when you wear it like a nineties LA gangster rapper where you just do up the top button and the hang yeah, loose. You could do that. I'm, I'm not going to that works for uh, mature body shapes. Yeah. That's true. Well I kinda of think though it's been a long while since I've worn, you know, anything skinny fit. I don't think anything skinny fit is ever me and now i've gone from you need to oh actually classic fit that's maybe a little bit tight relaxed fit there we go relaxed fit what you need what's the one uh, that american preppy brands use is that athletic fit athletic athletic's okay because i'm quite big in the shoulder and don't have a pretty big waist but my chest in anything skinny or classic fit i can't get these two buttons done up the two chest ones they just never do up to my collar size because you've got that much chest hair just bursting I am. out. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not 70s chest hair medallion they're trying to escape. Really. Oh, you're just a oh. natural. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. I wanted to bring up the boring topic of socks. And this is because I had another revelation whilst out travelling a few months ago, uh, a few weeks ago, because uh, I've had terrible experiences with the I mean, a lot of people really like the expensive Japanese socks. Uh, For me, they have not been good at all. They wear out horribly and they're just really no good at all. But I did find a pair when visiting a shop in Sheffield that I wore for 10 days straight now and they look as good as new. So I thought that worth mentioning. I'm going to try to find the brand name of them as well because um, that's sort of important, I see. Um... But I can't find it now. Now, I'm a slight sock obsessive, so I have a lot of socks and a lot of brands I like and lots of ones I destroy very regularly. So I know I can't wear anything that's pure wool. They'll get destroyed quickly. You know, your pantherellas and your corgis are great. But again, my feet are fairly disgusting and my lifestyle is not one for wearing nice shoes and delicate wash cycles, so they're pretty much out. But there was a Japanese brand that made them out of polyester, and I can't remember who it is. And like, all their socks are 100% polyester, and they're indestructible, and they're amazing. Mm, and I can't... Interesting. Amy? The I... Amy? Amy? Uh... The brand I was thinking of was Decca, and I bought some uh, 80s uh, skateboarding socks. They looked like tennis socks, but they were actually uh, really very, very comfy. But again, in the sort of £35 for a pair of socks class, 
and I noticed Sean making astonished. Because <laughs> they're not, yeah. they're not I quite don't make a habit of thick, it. Though. Do they not make your shoes quite tight if they're too, if the, if the socks, are, like sports socks, tend to be quite a bit thicker, don't they? I think I think pair of socks are good for shoes that are maybe a little bit too large. Yeah. Say so they're half a size too large, you might get away with wearing some thicker socks. Yeah. So they can have a, a function there. I bought, I'm, I'm going to show you, look, these, which were like 100% some sort of small animal wool. I can't remember what the animal was, but it's it's almost feels like cashmere type stuff that um, family members had been to New Zealand and brought me back five pairs of these type of socks that are quite popular over there. But I washed them at 30 degrees and they all shrank immediately. So Ouch. now I can't get them on. So Faye wears them instead. But they're lovely. I mean, they're nice and soft, but I, I can't ever wear them again because they're like, I just thought I'd use that as an example. I know you can't see that, but they're lovely and soft and warm. Some sort of small animal from New Zealand, but I can't remember. Possum. Probably rat. Possum, rat possibly. Or squirrel. Rat or squirrel. Mm -hmm. yeah. The possum rings a bell. <laughs> um, but they're, they're, they're nice. They've got a lovely, like, soft texture. But I, I tend to find. You're saying, John, about the polyester. Some sort of cotton polyester mix um, tends to be the longest, the hardest wearing. Yeah. I'm not, like, too hung up on being 100% cotton. No, I do try to be natural fibres in everything, but, um, yeah, socks... I mean, you need some flex in them, you need some wearability, and... Um, I don't think we've quite solved that with natural fibres and stuff yet. Hmm. But I tend to have like a and pile of thin ones and a pile of thicker ones, so I'll, I'll alternate depending on what shoes I'm or boots I'm wearing. You know, depending on how how they fit at the time. But thirty-five for a pair of socks to me is a bit excessive. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the last two pairs I bought before that, which were about thirty pounds a pair, Rototo socks, they were rubbish. Mm. So you're going to be paying ninety, sort of... aren't they? The like Terry Towling ones. We Rototo. What was that, John? Your Rototos like the Terry Towling. They do all sorts of different ones. These ones were sort of uh, a stretchy wool type, which looked really good and felt really good when they were new. But then they started pilling like crazy. So you'd be using the depilling machine every day on your socks, which as a as an adult male, I refuse to be depilling my socks every yeah. morning. <laughs> we shouldn't have to, really. I mean, it's not... It's like knitwear. You shouldn't have to really do it with knitwear. If it's decent enough quality, it shouldn't start pilling immediately. But you would expect not to happen with socks as well, you know? Yeah, it's just not something that should be a factor in life. Shocks mm. you wear and then you wash them and then you wear them mm. more. And, mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. You can sort of accept that shoes you polish and you might feed the leather and stuff, but yeah, you're not <laughs> signing up for shoe maintenance, no sock maintenance uh, time. Mm. I like cleaning my shoes as in it's quite, I find it quite therapeutic and relaxing to sit and clean a pair of shoes and um, you know, moisturise. I, I love polishing shoes. Mm. It's, I absolutely love it. It's a nice thing to do. 
I'm guessing, Nick, your, your face is suggesting you probably don't enjoy it as much as Sean and I. I. I mean, I think I do enjoy it. It's just I really, it really comes to mind. Um, so I do it a lot less often than I should. Because, I mean, if you buy a pair of nice shoes, you ought to take care of them. And it's not that I don't take care of them. It's just that I don't um, obsess over them. No, but it's not obsessing. It's like if if you look down and they're dusty or dirty, you know, um, or there's some scores or marks, you know, it's nice to then think, right, I'll try and get rid of that and I'll, you know, dust them off and then I'll, I'll sort of moisturise it and get rid of that little nick with a bit of sandpaper and I'll just wear it down and then I'll try and blend the colour in and stuff. And, yeah, I quite like doing it, yeah. I'm not like... Um, From the way you describe it, yes, you do ooh. enjoy I mean that's a that's a whole little hobby there. I used to enjoy buying older shoes off eBay and then um, sort of going through that process. But then I would get to the point and like I would do it all and I'd think uh-huh, don't know if I like them and then just sort of sell them on. But I never generally I'll make a bit more money on them. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't tend to do it as much now. But um, yeah, it's good to um, sort of slightly restore them. I mean I'm not going to the level of you know, hand stitching them myself or anything, but um, like some people are. But um, I think that chap, bespoke addict on um, Instagram, he, you know, he's got a lot of shoes. You know, we think we've got a lot of shoes, but he's got a lot of shoes, and um, he's doing sort of his own repairs and things. But no, just a basic sort of scrub down and moisturise and restoration. And, and, you kind of think when you buy them from people in that condition, you think, well, why didn't you do that? You know, why didn't you look after them? And why did you let them get in such a state? It seems to be like people just wear the hell out of them and then just like try and sell them on, you know, but a little bit of care and they, they could have lasted. Second-hand pairs where people have obviously polished them a lot, probably quite badly, and they've mm. had enough to take the polish off with a knife and have melted it off with a lighter and things before repolishing them. They've, they've just gone nuts with filling in the welt with stuff and you're just like what what's all that about mm. they've been very shiny but um you know they've been in pretty poor condition on the move that but it's, I, I quite enjoy it i think my i my granddad put me to military buffing thing shoes so i can't quite get involved in it all mm-hmm. and i've got lots of outdoor boots quite a lot so anything i'm wearing out and about in the fields needs a bit of tlc once in a while it would mm-hmm. you know loses and it isn't particularly good I guess it's a bit like with waxed jackets. And here we're back at my old money theme again. You've got waxed jackets and proper footwear, where not everyone can sort of relate to the fact that these are made to be maintained, rewaxed, taken care of, polished, can be resold, can be repaired, whatever. And they won't take care of them and then just replace them when they're looking a bit scruffy. Is great for me because I don't buy them and look after them and love them and I like a, something you know if it, I prefer stuff that's a bit battered and I can do a bit of TLC with it you know my all my wax a lot of my wax jackets I've said before have been like my grandparents and things and they're in you know interesting states of repair but they've been rewaxed every couple of years and they're still waterproof and they still look good and I love them and the same with shoes I'm, I'm loads of shoes and boots that are very old and I you know my day to day my go to trickers I bought new when I was at university. They've been resold. You know, they're a bit like Trigger's Broom. They've had new stitching. They've had new soles, new heels, new laces. But, you know, they just keep getting redone. You know, they don't look bad. They just look lived in. They you know, they're well-maintained. they got that sort of uh, 
history to it, which I quite like. Mm. Do you send them back to Trickers, or do you use a local cobbler for that? Uh, I use a local chap. So it was quite hard to find. So I, I told the story before of my um, William Lennons that were destroyed by a local cobbler. He took them apart and then didn't realise he didn't know how to put them back together again. So um, they went back to William and Eleanor, who actually were very, very good and did a very, you know, made them new again. But no, so I use a cobbler I have found who is awesome. He does lots of my leather work for me. So I've got, you know, someone to do my leather work. I do my re-waxing because I quite enjoy that. There's a little Ukrainian lady that does nearly all my tailoring for me now who fixes everything and, and will, you know, if I give her a implicit instructions on doing really odd things to 1950s flying suits she will pretty much do it stitched perfectly if you just tell her to fix it she will fix it it'll be amazingly done but it won't look right um so you have to you know i've had a couple of times when i've asked her to take the length off sleeves and she's taken the length off sleeves and done a very very competent measured job but she hasn't reinstated the buttons she wasn't asked to reinstate the buttons so just have to be careful what i ask her that reminds me, I was asked recently on Instagram how to best shorten the sleeves on a jacket with working cuffs. And I got so many replies on that. I mean, clearly asking a question like that is how you get interaction on social media. <laughs> but most of the people were saying shorten it by taking it up at the shoulder. Now, I did that once on a jacket and I found that quite uh, quite tricky but i did ask our local tailor and he was totally against it he wouldn't even touch yeah. it but what he wanted to do was the little usual fold up at the cuff uh basically losing the the working split there and then just moving the buttons a bit, a bit up which i think looks so rubbish so i've for the time being, I've just left them and I just fold up the cuff a bit, which looks a bit sort of casual and I look like I'm wearing my dad's jacket or something like that. But I, I'm completely stuck what to do there. I know I've never had any of the ones that I have had that have kept the surgeon's cuffs. They've had to take the sleeve up or take a nip out of the sleeve and lift it up. Depending on how well tailored your jacket is, it can look good or not look good, but you can't really tell until it's done. Yeah. That's not you were saying, Sean? Certainly, the, the, the person I take them to in, in Gifnick, they, whenever I've had to get sleeves shortened, I'll, I'll take it up at the shoulder, yeah. Um, it tends to be a more expensive job, but um, I think I got it done on a suit, just a, a plain blue wool suit, and I think one tweed jacket, and it's it's fine. The tweed jacket, it looks a little bit pinched sometimes at the, at the shoulder, Um so it kind of looks a bit crumpled in, um, which isn't brilliant. But the suit, um, which is like quite a thin um, wool, looks great. It looks fine. But yeah, that was what she said. It's just like easier for them to, to do it that way. Um, but it's a longer process, but it, it, it saves them farting about with the buttons on the cuff and stuff. Quite a few like tweed jackets I've had in the past that have clearly been adjusted at the sleeve where they'll, they'll only have like one button um, and a very small surgeon's cuff that's only maybe two inches yeah. and you can tell that um that they've, they've been adjusted um, but it, it looks okay but you know it's not it's not ideal um once you're aware of it though and start observing people wearing blazers or sport coats or suit jackets around you can spot 20 paces who's had their cuffs yeah. taken up and how crap it looks compared to ones that haven't been however it's, it's the one thing that 
when, when people are buying jackets and wearing jackets that, that makes it look like it doesn't fit, it's the length of the sleeve. You know, you, you could sort of get away with an inch, an inch or two lengthwise or even slightly bigger over the shoulder. But if if you see somebody standing and they've got the, their jacket halfway down their cuff, it's just immediately obvious. Um, that and trouser length, it's just the two things that, you know, when, when you see, it, it's like news presenters and, and weather presenters, for me, it just, I find it quite difficult to watch sometimes when um, they, they've either got their trousers far too long um, or far too short and they'll be wearing a, a two-button suit um, and they'll, they'll fasten both the buttons and you can just see the jacket shape completely wrong. You know, it's just like pulls it in and you just think, why on earth? If you're, if you're on television and you're presenting yourself, surely you would just have a look at what maybe works and what doesn't work. And I know, Nick, you're you're a bit of a like a, a like fasten all buttons man, but on, on like a two button, it just looks ridiculous because it's not designed to be fastened. It's like too too far a gap between the, the, the two sides of the material. Um, but that's that is a bit of a bugbear of mine, actually. Mm-hmm. Well, great example, Richie Sunak, obviously the oh. Prime Minister at the moment, his suit yeah. over the shop. I mean, the trouser length is always incorrect, either too long or too short. Yeah. And and he always does them up in most peculiar ways. And the other one is good old Donald Trump. With I've never seen anybody look quite as much like a bag of spuds in a suit. It's unbelievable that yeah. one of the most powerful men in the world for a suit looks like someone's toddler's been dressed. And those badly. awful cheap ties Donald Trump wears are like these really, really shiny, silky ties. Yeah. yeah, they're just awful. They just hang like a sort of... Bleh. Um... And again, like I don't like when you see somebody whose tie knot's far too big for the collar of their shirt, um, or or it's a button-down shirt that's got a tiny little aperture for a tie, um, or you know the tie knot, you know you can you can adjust your tie knot accordingly. Mean, I very rarely wear a tie, but you know when you see like a collar that's barely reaching over the edge of the the tie, you know, and you just like it's it's not. I'm not being like our Saint menswear about it, but it's it's an easy thing to get right. It's 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 as easy to screw it up as it is to get it right, and it's not it's not difficult, you know. And it's like matching a tie with a shirt. It's not it's not some huge rocket science. It's 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 pretty simple. If you if you if you've got any concerns, you just wear a white shirt and a blue tie. You know, it's like you can't really go wrong. But like, why screw it up by trying to match these? patterns and shapes of tie and textures of tie you know that kind of shiny horrible thing because when you pull it off that's where the glory lies yeah but it's it's not but it's not like (laughs) some holy grail it's not some like secret society of like of of menswear to match shirts and ties and like and suits it's just it's a pretty basic thing that just people seem to get wrong so many times oh this this some, obviously back to my kids again with um, the end of year proms and the girls generally look reasonable yeah some of the type boys the suits my goodness my uh, my uh, my but i need bleach for my eyes yeah. like, what on earth i know they are this i mean it's like you know not even in a we're doing it in an ironic comedy way yeah they are just worst fitting most horrendous suits i think i've ever seen in my life it- it's the size of them. It's like that sort of like, can I get it in a size two sizes smaller than I, than I require? You know, it's like. And then wear trainers with it because you know you you want to stand out. 
you know, be the individual in your group of friends who are all wearing the same suit. Yeah. Five trainers. You know? <laughs> but yeah, they, they, it's been giving me a constant laugh at my son's mates because they look like Egypt. Yeah. The, 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 I mean, they tend to wear a lot of kilts up here for proms and stuff, which, again, it's like it's it can be difficult to get the proportions right. You tend to find with a kilt outfit where, you know, generally the fit's going to be okay, so the jacket will be fairly boxy and square. Um, but it's more the sort of proportion of like where your waistcoat, if you wear one, sits, or where the jacket sits to the in relation to the kilt and stuff like that. But generally, they do better with that than they do with the with those those sort of suits from Next kind of thing that are like, you know, they barely cover your arse. <laughs> They're terrible. Odd you should mention the kilts, because when I was flying to England recently, there was a group of Scotsmen at the airport. Mm. Uh, about six of them were wearing kilts, and it was kind of a sort of display of who looks good in a kilt and who doesn't. Mm. Some of them did look really cool. Mm-hmm. And it worked well. But there was this poor guy who was kind of stooped, pasty, skinny, uh, unhealthy looking, with his kilt down past his knees. That was not a strong look. Mm. No, no, it's um, it's an odd item to... But the thing is, there's, there's so many ways to adjust the kilt to get it to fit. There's so much material there in a decent kilt. You know, there's just volumes of material that you can adjust in a minute manner to, to get it, whether it's the, the, the double strap fitting at the side to, to loop through or, um, you know, to, to, to get the length right. And, and any good tailor will, will adjust it for you. Um, but, yeah, it's just like I think the, the sheer weight of it sometimes the belt is really just decorative, you know, decorative, so it doesn't tend to pull the kilt up. So the, the sheer weight of the item, unless you actually get it to fit you right, it will constantly just start to pull down, you know. And <laughs> as the, as the evening goes on, it will just start to go past the knee, and then you, you're constantly like sort of trying to hook it, hook it up past your your armpits. But yeah, it's 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 a sort of thing when it fits great, it's great, but it's very easy to to, to um, for it to to not fit. Um, yeah. But again, I, I, when you see people wearing, like, I think a kilt looks great. See, just with a jumper, a bit of wool jumper and a kilt, proper kilt socks and a decent pair of brogues or whatever, it looks fantastic. It looks comfortable, you know, it's warm and it looks smart. And you could just, I don't know, you could wear it more often than people maybe should. Um, there's a real prevalence up here to wear the black Bonnie Prince Charlie jackets, which are quite a formal um, sort of evening wear jacket with a bow tie but when I got mine I didn't really want that because I wanted something that I could wear but more adaptable so I went for a sort of like a, a wool in what's called Love It which is a kind of greeny blue um, colour with a matching waistcoat so it's a bit more sort of flexible to uh, you know to wearable at times although to be honest whenever I do wear the kilt again I tend to just wear it with a jumper um, in, a, in my uh, wear it sort of quite simply but um, I should wear it more often I should I should just wear it for going to the shops or whatever Do you wear it with bare legs or do you wear big uh, big socks? Socks, yeah Not just uh, tennis socks and no, trainers? No, 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 no I mean I don't I, I would never wear ghillie brogues because again I find them a bit of an affectation but um, just like regular if you if you if you sort of keep the socks like um fairly simple again just like either cream or again love it or 
or you know that kind of color um don't bother with the sashes down the side of the socks either um again because you, you're sort of making it a bit less formal but yeah i tend to wear just like brown um brown derbies or brogues with it rather than um you know any of the lace-ups or anything like that hmm. i'd like to loop back to the tailoring thing again in a moment uh, reason being that when i've been selling stuff now i have had occasions where guys have called me up and said look can i come and try some stuff and I'll see them put on a jacket, which I'm selling because it just does not fit me, even though I adore it. And some guy will come in, he'll put it on, and it just fits him perfectly. And it's such an emotional moment for me because I'm sort of, wow, it fits so perfectly. Also, why? It just did not fit me. Uh, so kind of jealous, I suppose, because I'm too short and yeah, whatnot. But, I mean, how much change can you tailor, say, a jacket. And I see a lot of people talk about when they're buying stuff, oh, they always have it tailored, even jeans. And it's like, really? Uh, why? But what are the sort of limits of tailoring stuff? Well, I, I, the jeans one always... There are so many fits of jeans out there, I can't see why you couldn't find a fit of jeans that fits you if you were that bothered. That, that seems bonkers. There, there are huge numbers of manufacturers, fits, cuts. There's going to be one that fits you without having tailored. Conversely, every suit I've ever owned has been tailored in one way or another because I've got a short inside leg, relatively small waist, and gigantic shoulders. So I'm a, a weird triangle shape. So I need, I need almost lost weight. So I was a 46 chest, now I'm about a 44 chest, but a 32 waist. You can't buy something off the peg that fits that. Then with a thirty-one inside leg, it doesn't. It doesn't compute. There's nowhere it needs to be tailored. And I can, you know, if it's an off the peg of those sizes, I look like a bag of spanners. But if I get it tailored in the right, it'll look great. So every time, traditional tailored items need tailoring. Suits, occasionally overcoats, proper coats to actually have a waist in them. I often have trousers turned up. Don't know how much that is. Whether that's tailoring or just alterations, but having I'd... trousers, I mean, that's just a, a quick alteration, really, and that's sort of I expect that. I mean, I, it's a very, very rare occasion where I buy a pair of trousers that are the correct length for my <laughs> little legs. The same, but I the the jeans. I was reading the article you sent me about having your jeans tailored, and I've seen jeans tailored on, for, for sale where people have taken you know quite expensive selvage denim and they've had them retailored and structurally they don't work anymore you know you know they're not triple chain link stitched they're not going to hold together uh, uh weird i'm sure they worked very well for who hadn't tailored to them but obviously not that well because they're selling them on again but it, it, it seems an odd thing and i've seen the reels thing as well some there's this thing constantly comes up about tailored t-shirts for me at the moment mm. conscious fit tailored t-shirts that have got elastine in the chest and in the belly to hide your dad bod or something like that and i'm just like well you know i'm proud of my dad bod i'll keep it on display i yeah. think dad bod is a thing now at the moment but but it's it's, it's odd to have you know there's certain things i i think tailoring is odd for but certain things that i would nearly always be tailored into the dad marketing association has spent a, a heap of money 
marketing the dad bod now, so uh, we should reap some benefits soon. But uh, yeah, I mean, if I buy a pair of Japanese jeans that have been meticulously made in Japan to a certain way, I wouldn't take it to a local tailor and ask him to sort of remake them. That would be wasteful. It seems really counterintuitive. But yet a suit, I would immediately, you know, if I could afford and had the money, I would get one bespoke made that's right straight away, or at least tailor-made. But if I buy anything off the page, like I said, suits always need, because everybody's a different shape. We're all, you know, all three of us are different shapes and have different requirements, so. You've also bought a number of uh, Savile Row bespoke suits yes. second-hand. How has that worked to make them fit you? I've had to have them retailored. Nearly all of them have been retailored. Um, largely, the jackets I can get in the right chest size, which is the thing. And getting the, the chest, the taking the waist can be tricky if they're bolder checks, particularly if they're some of the tweeds, that can be a trickier job. But if I can get a jacket to fit, then it's usually not too much of a bother. Um, the lengths are usually reasonable. Length on jackets is sometimes a bit thing. But as I said, I've got my tailor who has done some amazing stuff. There are a couple of pairs of trousers where they've had very large waists and trying to get rid of, sort of four, five, six inches off the waist of a pair of trousers is <laughs> is a task. And, and they end up, you know, fitting a little bit funny in the leg, to be fair. Yeah. But I know part of the sort of Savile Row thing is that, say, if you have a different shoulder drop, yep. uh, it will compensate for it. You haven't had any bad experiences there where uh, the original owner dropped one way and you dropped the other <laughs> and you end up looking I've Because of a car accident, I've got a drop on my right shoulder. So I've got about a half inch inch drop on one shoulder. So when I have suits made or I've had suits made by a tailor for me, they've corrected that. And they do look much better. I was to say there, there is a thing, but, you know, I think because I'm a fairly boxy fit, the shoulders aren't too much of an issue. The tapering at the waist, you know, if I'm getting something in a 46, say 46 chest, the previous owner's got 40, 42 inch waist. I need to take them into a 34 inch waist to be comfortable. That's a lot of extra material and a lot of work to be done. And the tailor will obviously, you know, the side seams coming in and bits and pieces, but Nothing's gone disastrously wrong. There are a, few, a couple of pairs of trousers. I've got a huntsman suit with the trousers were taking in from such a gigantic size. They now have the baggiest backside in the universe and look a little bit as <laughs> more than a, a finely tailored suit. But the jacket and waistcoat are great still. So Now, Sean, I know you got a sewing machine for Christmas. Mm. Have you been doing your own alterations? So I think we need to sort of move swiftly on to the next topic at the moment no to be honest i've managed to do um some jeans um and some cotton trousers but i haven't advanced past that at the moment um so it hasn't had a huge amount of use but it is my intention to to go through all my trousers and jeans and just adjust them accordingly rather than i tend to used to just cut them with a pair of scissors and then roll them a bit um which was a kind of easier quicker way to do it but yeah i mean it's 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 been okay it's like it's fairly self-explanatory um in use once you've got it set up i think that's the kind of hardest bit getting the, the thread through and, and set up but once it's going it's it's okay and then you can always unstitch and go back again and but 
for the times that I have used it, it's been fairly, I'm fairly chuffed with the, the results of it. Yeah, and I will use it more. Um, it's a bit difficult sometimes at the moment. Um, but on the whole, it's, yeah, quite good. I'm glad I got it. Yeah. It's, a, it's a question of really finding a process that works for you. Mm. Um, I did a pair yesterday and that was quick and easy. Mm-hmm. I was looking at a pair I did a few years ago and I couldn't understand what I was thinking when I did them. Mm. So, um, but I mean, I was watching um, a reel because we spent a lot of time on reels, guys. But there was a young girl showing how she, um, teaching people to hem trousers. She laid them out really, really carefully and the, carefully the other legs on top of them and then she snipped them off. Job done. <laughs> and I was thinking, ah, that's not hemming trousers, that's cutting them yeah, off. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a kind of easy part. Um, but you can also get this stuff now um, where you, it's a sort of, you can just stick it in the fold and iron over it and it sticks the hem. So you just need to fold it up and it never, works. I've tried a couple of times with it. It's never held. Never, never held. held. So, um, but that's, no, I, I mean, I've, for the 15 minutes it takes me to get the sewing machine out, thread it up, zip around them, then it's, uh, then it's fine. So, um, and it's, I don't know uh, what it costs to get someone to do it for you, but, uh. My, my lady charged me 15 quid, which yeah, I mean, that isn't bad, is it? Uh, I think we pay more around these parts. Yeah, I, I wanted to loop back a bit to the concept of wax, re-waxing jackets because I did experience something recently where I um, I bought some uh, of the new bars of wax that Harley Stevensons do. So instead of using the traditional gloopy tins of uh, wax you need to heat up and so forth, it was a whole different process where you just rub the bar over the jacket and then warm it with a hairdryer. And the whole process was so much more pleasant than having a jacket covered in sort of dry molten no molten wax all over the kitchen table. Say, uh, I wondered, have you, you two done anything similar? Or are you still on the old school stuff? I'm on the I tend to use um Filson's wax still, even on my barbers. It seems to work better absorbs better and, and, and seems to get when the hairdryer piece seems to actually absorb into the seams a lot better than anything else some of the old barber thorn proof seems to sit on the surface a bit too much even with heating the filson is that in a tin or is it a bar tinned but it's fairly solid you can almost break it out and use it you know shoe polish is solid in a tin it's almost as solid as that right but you heat it in a saucepan the same way no i i just fingers and heat it as I go and rub it in by hand gosh that sounds <laughs> potentially even nastier than the traditional one don't, don't you get wax sort of really stuck into your hands yeah but that's okay because you sit waxy hands fine okay right. you know cleaning boots my, my hands are disgusting I you know I put the dubbing and the wheel on by hand I don't use a cloth you can really stick it in and stuff so my hands are very well dubbed and uh, waterproof at the end of my uh, shoe cleaning Right. What do you wash them with then? No, we'll get it off. Uh, small figure. I was about to mention that when I was uh, working on vintage cars a lot, I had this sort of special stuff that would just remove oil like nothing. You could, I mean, you could spend half an hour with washing up liquid trying to get the crap off. But, uh, Sean, you doing any rewaxing? 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I used to like years ago. Always just use the standard barber tin that you heated up, but it's it's a pain in the arse. So the Nick Wax spray, I find it's not. It doesn't put it on as thick, and it's it's maybe doesn't last as long, but it's a lot easier um, to apply and. Um, you're sort of more inclined to, to do it rather than sort of fart about. So if you, you know, it's 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 just easier to do, um, and it's fine. I mean, to be honest, with you, as as a as a coat, they're they're okay even if you've not sort of consistently waxed them. They're still waterproof to an extent and windproof um, for most conditions um, within the UK. Um, so I don't tend to do it that often. No, it doesn't really. Like bother me. I in fact, I was wearing one. I took I took one with me last week, um, and we went to, um, like up to Holy Island in Bambra, just up the Northumberland coast for the day, and um, I wore it, and it, it's like it was a decent warm enough day, but you can wear them quite easily in the summer with a t-shirt. Um, you know, they're sort of thin enough and, and light enough that, um. I find it's 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 really really versatile jacket to wear, but yeah, I'm not like as sort of bothered about them being like completely waxed as I am with cleaning my shoes. For instance, I suppose it depends on the usage, really. If like John, you're out with uh, dogs in all sorts of weather, you might want to wax it more. But if you're like me, that you just wear it to prance around in, then you don't really want to wax it so much. So this is Nick Wax for uh, Nick Wax for wax jacket because I've used Nick Wax on other products. So I've used the Gore-Tex stuff, and it's taken me years to get it to actually work and make a Gore-Tex jacket waterproof again. I had real struggles with it. Have you had any experience with dry waxed cotton, John? No, I haven't. That's something I haven't even looked at. I've got I've got one of the Cabon um, beeswaxed Parkers. Which is probably the closest thing. Uh, I haven't tried to rewax it. I don't know about whether I would try to rewax it or or whether I'll just use it as a cotton outer. That was actually one I did try rewaxing with the Halley Stevenson. Kit okay. Because the beeswax fabric on that is supplied by Halley Stevenson, and I had a word with them, and they said use the use the bar. That's the best for for that. And that was actually a, a very pleasant job. Uh, didn't take long, and it wasn't super messy, and I think it worked out okay. I haven't actually used the jacket since, but uh, it's the wrong time of year for it. But waxed uh, cotton of the dry sort does appear to sort of fall into several categories. Um, some of it is um, doesn't seem to be very waterproof at all. And it, other ones are very much so. Yeah, no, I, I, I struggle with any, you know, wax jackets, I tend to stick with a proper wax jacket because I want something that's waterproof and thornproof and windproof and fairly indestructible. Yeah. If I go for Gore-Tex. Because, I mean, some of the wax, the dry wax ones now, you can put them in the washing machine if they're dirty and so forth, and I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I remain to be convinced, although Fram jackets have used some that um, does seem more waterproof than others. But yeah, no, I, I stick with what I know. Like I said, the Gore, getting Gore-Tex re-waterproofed has been an old Gore-Tex. This is millions of different types now. It's moved on, but my old 70s Gore-Tex jackets, I found out yeah. of a hot... Spray them with a lot of Nick wax, dry them in the tumble dryer, so it 
dries quick into the fabric makes it actually waterproof, really very waterproof, as in you can spray it in the shower and it'll roll off. I suppose old, well, almost 50-year-old Gore-Tex has degraded in itself so much that it's it's an uphill battle anyway. Yeah, and it absorbs into it this time. So, you know, there was, you know whether whether it sits on the surface or absorbs in or forms a barrier, whatever it does, but now there's the, the membrane permeable ones and the tr- Gore-Tex has moved on a lot. But the old single membrane stuff's a bit tricky. Oh, yes, I wanted to ask you, uh, Sean... You were recently picked up by an online uh, collector's community and uh, outed on Instagram for one of your collections. What was that like? Yeah. Yes, yes. In fact, it would be quite good to get you guys on board with that as well. Um, it's, it was a, a website that was set up a few years ago called Stan, um, and it was just about collectors, but it was just allowed to... Uh, Fester, it didn't really pick up very well. I think it was just the beginning of lockdown, etc., etc. But it's sort of been relaunched, rejuvenated. I think the plan is to have a print edition as well um, at some point, um, whether it's like a, a biannual thing or whatever. But it's really about people that collect things, but more about the person that's collecting them rather than the actual collection. Um, and there's been some like really sort of quite fascinating ones. Um, you know whether it's uh, Star Wars things. I've got um, another one coming up that the chap um, collects uh, space Lego nineteen seventy seven to seventy nine. There's a kind of <laughs> specific range of, of space Lego, you know. Um, but a lot of it's just like the stories behind the people that are doing the collecting rather than the collection itself, which makes it that little bit more. That little bit more interesting. So I think I I was sort of one of the first um, participants since the relaunch, um, and was my sort of collection of maps um, where I'd it, it wasn't like me collecting specific um, eras or ranges that once I'd collected all the Land Ranger maps, um, which was like the two hundred and four that covers the UK. I kind of then started just collecting maps that I thought looked interesting or a little bit unusual. Um, there's, there is there is a sort of more expensive end of the market um, where it's a bit more specialised, a lot of military maps, um, that kind of thing. But, yeah, I mean, there's a lot out there, whether it's in charity shops or online or whatever, that um, are things that are just kind of forgotten about now that are just an afterthought or I'll just get rid of those or... Um, but I was speaking to a chap this morning that had picked up 176 um, maps online on eBay that he was bidding on when he was pissed last night um, for £17.70. <laughs> he won them for, now he's trying to offload them. Um, but, you know, so, I mean, that's an extreme bargain. But generally, they're not, not expensive things. They, they capture a, a moment in, in time and a moment in history. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, I love them. I just love looking at maps. I love looking at the... You can, the way you can see the landscape evolve but yeah so if you get a chance have a look on um, Stan Life um, it's on the Instagram and and there's a link to the, the web page as well um, but yeah so we'll see how that pans out <laughs> yeah it's interesting because it sort of dovetails with the sort of other stuff we're into as well I mean 
vintage clothing where does that go uh, mm. i was at to this thing on at the weekend which was basically uh, antiques sales i suppose and it was remarkable to see all this old stuff that was still around uh, i was in the Nas new national gallery in oslo uh, a couple of months ago and they had mm. this whole section filled with stuff that i can remember from my childhood and mm. it was bonkers to see all this stuff in perfect condition it was, it was the best exhibition of all mm -hmm. just wandering around and wow yes i remember that brilliant mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i mean there's, there's something about things just from the sort of recent past that then we can relate to our childhood or relate to growing up that that has a different sort of collector and a different sort of way of of, of uh, relating to the product rather than say collecting 18th century stuff boxes where they're nice and pretty things, but you can't really relate to them as such, you know. Um, no, nothing against snuff box collectors, but that's something just, it's a different type of collecting, I'm, isn't it? I collect and hold all sorts of, I pick up all sorts, particularly stuff from like my childhood. You kind of, there's a couple of toys that I never had as a kid, but I'm always on yeah. the hunt for case. And like the other day, I picked up this little chap. The oh, Iron yeah. We were, uh, yeah. Action. Like the pre GI Joe action figures made from Action Man. Action Force, like, yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. Was like, that was amazing. And I saw that in a charity shop for like three quid. And I was like, that is such a memory of my childhood. I desperately wanted that mm. as a kid. Mm -hmm. And three quid in a charity shop, 100%, that was it on my desk. And I've got, I'm surrounded by bits and pieces. And mm -hmm. no, I've got a collection, you know, obviously all the old climbing gear. I've got loads of that. These um, mm. pottery, um, love 70s stone glazed pottery i've got toys coming out of my ears star wars yeah. stuff sci-fi things you know first edition sci-fi books i've got lots of collections of lots of stuff yeah and that's a good that's a good way to collect i think if you if you become very very specific in collecting something in it and you want to complete collections that's where it starts to get expensive and you start to you know so for instance like say i'd I'll maybe start collecting something and I realise that some of it will be cheap and readily available and then the other half of it is like, you know, difficult to find and expensive. Um, another one was the sort of dinky range of, of aeroplanes from that they did after the war. Um, but they're just sort of quite small, very well made metal aeroplanes where there's like some that are like readily available that must have been the more popular ones like Gloucester Javelin that kind of thing that you can pick up for three pounds and then there's some that are like a couple of hundred pounds so you either say right yeah I'm going to try and complete it or you just give up and just say right well, I'll go on to something else and I'll, I've still got some of them and then I'll move on to um, you know some other type of collecting um, Observer Books was another one that I started to collect Observer Books and then I realised that Obviously, some of them were a lot rarer than others because they sold less at the time, because um, they're just a little bit more niche and uh, you know things like the the ones about um, plants and uh, cars or, or, or churches are very common, but things like about jazz or folk music or uh, that kind of thing are you know that little bit that little bit more expensive. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's fun to sort of and and, and that's what's great on eBay and stuff where or charity shops where you can just have a wee dig around and you can you can pick these things up you know ladybird well, books that's another one and i guess if no one is collecting them and taking care of them they'll just disappear 
Yeah, I mean, toy cars are, are, are a great example where people bought them to play with them. They didn't buy them to like sit in a, in a wardrobe. So if you do find them now that are in good condition, then you know it's 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 rare. So you, you have to expect some sort of battering around. And whether you want to buy collect mint things or whether you just want to collect them because you just want one, um, that's that's I suppose again it's a different type of collecting, isn't it? What about you, Nick? Is there anything you collect? No. I have been fairly obsessive on various things throughout time, but I, I mean, I do have a massive record collection, which I never listen to. I do mm. like buying books. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do have a lot of Jaguar memorabilia, but I think mainly now it's, I mean, clothes, mm. sadly, because I, I don't think it's a especially cool thing to collect, especially not when you don't get out of the house as much as I do. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's limited use when you're working from home all the time and um, mm. basically get to wear your stuff when you're walking the dogs. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I do find it immense pleasure I, in just buying dress- stuff. Pardon, John? We're the best dressed dog walkers. I get a lot of accolades by little old ladies when I'm walking the dogs because <laughs> it's kind of like I don't go anywhere apart from two hospitals to work and dog walking. And it's like, well, I've got to wear all my ludicrous outfits on the dog walks. So, you know, mm. I loom sometimes. Sure. There's that guy again. Yeah, what's he wearing? <laughs> He's going to talk to us. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. I was um, when when we were um, again when we were away last week and we went up the coast and it was just it it's kind of funny seeing how people dress when they're at leisure in in Britain. So that that a lot of it's an age thing, but they tend to be like pensioners, couples that clearly take their walking holidays very, very seriously. And, and they may only be walking a couple of hundred yards at a time, but they're, they're sort of fully equipped with um, micro fleeces tend to be very popular, backpacks and walking poles. And like, you know, we were sitting having lunch uh, uh, sort of on, on Holy Island, just on this little like hillock. And we were just watching these people coming out of the car park with all the gear on, walking to the shop that sold like, souvenirs and mead and then walking back to the car but they had like all this all this gear and, and sticks and stuff and it was just it's almost like they want to be taken very very seriously about look look we're not just here on holiday we're here to see things and do it properly you know we're not like you tourists we're kind of like sort of taking it just that little we're bit ramblers. yeah and it's like it's just, just this sort of leisure way of look that that tends to be um, I don't know. Is that that's kind of filtered down into to regular wear, isn't it? I suppose. Um, what 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 would be classed as comfortable clothing? So I shall we say. Mm. I get the same thing with dog walkers because when we walk the dogs, we're just wearing whatever we have on when they need walking. But mm. then you meet the people with their sort of dog walking vests and their sort of dog walking packs and all their gear, mm-hmm. and you sort of realise that wow, they're they're the real dog people. Yeah. Yeah, they're not, not mocking not like me. It's not yeah. mocks. I walk and mock me the day for going a dog walk in flip flops because I was walking across the downs in flip flops. I'm like, it's the downs. It's not Everest. They were wearing hiking boots, like climbing trousers, had a fanny pack thing on for all their dog treats, a backpack with a camel pack thing in it. I was kind of like, you live in the same village as me. We've probably done the same yeah. dog walk. But I've probably gone further. I do about 10k a day with them. I'm doing it in flip flops and a cowboy outfit. Mm-hmm. You're showing no respect for the dog walking heritage, John. I know. Really? I... Oh. 
So I take it the the, the, the new Rolling Dub Trio boots you're waiting for, Nick? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I've been now, when you perfect. when you bought you bought two pairs of those originally, didn't you? The first pair what? I ever bought, I got I'm from sure. Japan, and I think they were sold to me as a size eight, but they were clearly That's at right. least I a size that. ten. Yeah. I did try to use them. I was walking around mm-hmm. like with clown shoes on. It was. I've been mm-hmm. thinking back. I just totally cringe at my, but my valiant efforts. Thing mm-hmm. was, they couldn't even tell me what size they were, and they, mm-hmm. they weren't marked. So I was trying to get them. Look, the outsole is that long. How long is that normally for whatever size? But and then I I sold them, and then I got a pair of the Brogue ones, which were the right size, the coupons. I uh, love them. And then I bought a pair of well-used coupons, which were also the right size. And then I bought a pair of Foresters, which were eight and a half, where I should have had eight. And I'm not really too happy with them. Mm. But now I want a pair of the boots. Yeah, mm. that's uh, that's my shameful admission of the day. Right, I just but... remember that there was a pair that you weren't happy with. I remember that at the time. That was a while ago now, but um, I didn't realise. Tell you so... one thing though, Sean. Um, mm. The exchange rate between Norway and Britain now is in the toilet. It's terrible. Everything right. I buy from Britain is 40% more expensive than usual. Jeez. Uh, but the exchange rate towards Japan is actually pretty good. So that's nice. But at the same time, now that the Japanese shops have become so accustomed to dealing with people in Europe and elsewhere, uh, where they actually reply to emails promptly in English, and you can sort of find all the various shops online and you can mm. see that they all basically carry the same sort of stock. It's just a sort of Japanese version of other places. It's sort mm-hmm. of, yeah, it's kind of lost a bit of that weird charm it once had. Mm-hmm. And how long would you be looking at delivery for like something from Japan? Two days. Really? Yeah. Jeez, okay. three, three days is the longest I've ever waited for anything from Japan. Wow. Shipping is expensive, though. They send it yeah. Super Express. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, I've, got, I've got two pairs of Cooperins like you, and i got one pair that were meant to be the right size, which were a little bit tight, which eights, and I probably could do with nines. Mm. Black ones, which are lovely. And then i got the really battered pair, I think, the same time as you got your first pair, which have now got new Vibram Super Soft Soles on them, but they were so battered, they're still a little bit like orthopedic shoes. But I still quite like them. Yeah. That reminds me because, I mean, in Japan, the shoe sizes are in centimetres. So you can actually relate to, if you put your heel into against the wall and put a sheet of paper underneath and mark off and measure, you can find out how many centimetres your foot is. A size mm. 8 is a 26 or a 26 and a half. Right. Which is sensible. It means you can actually relate to the sizes a bit better. Uh, I did post on Instagram yesterday a little fed up text about um, I was seeing people discussing sizing of shoes but instead of measuring the length of their feet or using the Brannock device which tells you exactly what size you are it was all well I'm this in Air Force Ones I'm this in an Alden Last I'm that in Adidas Sambas but that in some other Adidas or whatever and I was mm. thinking Christ is there, <laughs> isn't there a more scientific method yeah it's it- Two size things bonkers because I, even in Nike, so Nike are my go to trainers, I range from an eight and a half to an eleven and a half, depending on which style. That does Jeez. kind of cover everything. 
it's pretty much from really pretty small to bigger than average. I can't mm -hmm. have a hot so my Gore-Tex ACG like fitting thing boots are an eleven E. I'm a nine by a machine. Yeah. Maybe uh, just below that. But I go it's so I can wear English proper bench made shoes, eight or nine, pretty much consistently. Trainers all over the shop. American American boots, particularly sort of Viber, Canada um, Red Wings. Red Wings are either I'm either tiny or huge again. There's nothing in between. I can't fit a nine, but a ten e in American size, perfect. Whereas, yeah, it, it it doesn't make any sense. Whereas I know I'm pretty readily a nine on a machine, eight and a half to a nine. Yeah. The weird thing was that the people who were discussing this, they sort of completely disregarded the Brannock machine and didn't even know what their own size was in it. Which That's just ludicrous. strange. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, if you you can use a US 10, which is a UK 9, I mean, that's that's good. I did mm. once try to find out how Viberg's sizing worked, but after spending a couple of hours reading various experts <laughs> on the matter on the internet... I was at a loss because it seemed to be size up, size down. I'm a I'm a I'm a tenny in their um, smoke jumpers. Yeah, I'm an eight A in their service boots. Yeah, so no consistency there then. Either so. I think, I think I'm pretty much ten, um, sort of even ten and a half with some shoes. I think my Clark's Desert boots are a ten and a half. Um, just to get them a little bit wider across the across the toe. Um, trainers, I tend to buy New Balance 574 because they're a quite a wider fit. In fact, I looked online, they actually come in about four different width fittings as well, but you're kind of limited in, in your colour ranges. But, um, but suede shoes, decent suede shoes, tend to be better for me because they, as, as you were discussing earlier, they do tend to have that little bit more flex um, yeah. flex in them than, than others. Whilst you're on shoes, though, the, there was a pair of Sanders um, brogues that I bought maybe about six months ago that I was waiting to get resold. They're just a kind of standard natural brown um, brogues, but they, they were incredibly good fit, incredibly comfortable. I took them into the, the local cobbler guy. He'd been off sick for months, um, getting a heart something or other but anyway so i waited until he came back and i said look can i just get a a, a, a a normal commando sole on them and he said well why don't you try this type of sole instead that had a commando um pattern on the bottom um and was a kind of a, a mid mid brown color he did say it comes in, in in terracotta and white as well but it was about a third of the weight of a standard um uh, Vibram sole, and he said, "He says it'll make it'll make it a lot easier. It'll lighten the shoe up, you know, because a lot of the weight on these shoes is actually in the sole, and it's yeah. incredible the difference." Um, I'm not sure how hard wearing they'll be, but then I'm not doing a huge amount of walking anyway. Um, but they feel good. I mean, it's, it's they're stitched on properly, like welted on, um, but they're just so much lighter. Um, than 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 the normal commando sole that I would that I would get. I'll I'll see and I'll take a picture for you um, later. I forgot to tell you because these are these are Vibrams, are they? No, 
No, they're not made mm-hmm. by Vibram. It's another company altogether um, that he, he mentioned to me. And he said that he was struggling to... Apparently, Timson's in the UK are, are pushing to get exclusive use of um, Vibram-branded commando souls, right? Okay. And they're looking for a, an exclusive on it. And he was saying that it was getting harder and harder for him to find souls to buy and he was having to go to different sources to, to, to get them in mm. um, and it's very much like a traditional old-fashioned cobbler shop that he runs just a few hours a day you know the guy's practically retired but he said look he says for your point of view you knew, knew i have difficulty walking and he says if you try these you'll notice a difference when it's a lot lighter and he says and they're still quite they're hard wearing and they look very similar to the normal so and they are it's it's to say it's, it's, it's taking a lot of weight off the shoe it's taking a lot of bulk off the shoe and i think i've, I've got a pair of um, Cheney leather brogue boots that I bought. That remember I had a hard sole that I tried to soften with the um, yeah. air dryer, which worked, but then they hardened back up again within about <laughs> six to eight weeks. So I thought I'm not keeping doing that every time. Um, so I was going to get some of the sole, these soles fitted to those as well. Um, and as you say, they look similar. The colours. He doesn't think there's black ones available yet, but he, he's. He's going to sort of let me know next time I go in. But yeah, it was just a remarkable difference in the whole. So you, you've got a shoe that looks like a standard British bench-made shoe, which it is, but it's just got a lot lighter a, a sole on it. Um, and it was a remarkable difference. It was, um, And they're softer to walk on as well, you know. They're a lot easier to walk with. Sounds like win-win to me because, I mean, it's not often mentioned, but the traditional British, say, commando sole... Isn't a really great sole, as you mentioned. It's heavy, but it's also rock hard, and it doesn't wear well. So, but it sort of looks good. But if you can get the yeah. same look and actually have comfort, lightweight, and better wear, I don't see any problem at all. I'm just more worried that Timson's going to get a sole contract on a Vibram because Timson's are terrible. I've never had a decent repair or anything done at a Timson's. Do thing. That's how you get to it. No, they're just the pits. They're sort of cheap methods, and 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 I don't. The, the heck of an expensive though. I mean, they were like they were they were quoting a hundred pound plus for Doctor Martin replacement um, soles on uh, on on their website. It's like I mean, that's more than you pay for a pair of Doctor Martins these days, of the crummy ones at least. Hmm. So I'll, I'll, who, would, who would pay I'll show you pounds these, to have them redone? I'll show you these souls once we're done here, and yeah. um, you see what you think. I'll try and get a name from. Them. I can't even remember the name that he said, but um, just said the, the world, it, he's been doing it for like forty or fifty years, and he says these are like a revelation to him. This this type of soul, um, but as I say, I'm not. I'm not sure if they would be as hard wearing, but at the moment, I'm not particularly hard on my feet so it's it's going to work out for me fine um, I, I know i mention it every year but uh, my um, red wing ice cutters with the vibram uh, uh, commando sole on i mean i've been wearing them for eight or nine years now and the soles still look brand new and they're the soft one and i mean i'm a heel striker uh, if i have a new pair of shoes and wear them for a day i can see the heel is wearing away and on the ice cutters the heel is still perfect so I think the soft rubber is much better for wear. Yeah, the ice cut. I've got a pair of ice cutters as well, and mine must be the same age as you, and they still 
are in really good nick, which they get some pretty heavy use. Yeah, the uppers, I mean, they weren't the most beautiful of boots to start with, and the uppers are now completely dark brown, and but they still work as well as the day I pulled them out of the box, which I guess is why Red Wing stopped making them. Yeah, well, you gotta 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 return, haven't they? They gotta wear shoes that wear out, so you buy new shoes. That's that's the thing. I mean, you have to keep people buying stuff. Okay, guys, should we call it a day? I'll say bye for now before everything collapses again. Um, <laughs> okay. okay, I look forward to have a listen. Rory, hi, Sean. Off yourself. Cheers, guys. Okay, guys. Wishing you the you best later. of all for summer and so forth. And um, see you again soon. Everybody. Thanks, Nick. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. And that's all for this week's episode of Garmology. If you'd like to check out my guest further, there's links in the show notes. There's also links to uh, how you can uh, support the pod by buying me a cup of coffee, which is perfectly optional. I'm just pleased you're listening. If you'd like to get in touch, suggest a guest, just let me know what you think. It's uh, welldressedad at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram as welldressedad. So until next week, bye-bye.